Welcome to the LBC podcast where we explore Christian theology and practice for the building up of God's family. My name is Josh White, the Adult Ministries Director here at LBC. So recently we've been studying the book of Romans on Sunday mornings, and one of the topics that comes up pretty early in the book is the topic of homosexuality. And on Sunday mornings, we don't always have the opportunity to look at the details of a topic like that and really answer the question of what does the Bible say about that topic. And so that's what we want to take time to do today is really look at what does the Bible say about homosexuality. So uh, here to help me do that today is Pastor Eric. So Pastor Eric, thanks for being here today to help with that. Oh, yeah. It's uh, my privilege and my joy to help bring some clarity, hopefully, and help people have a biblical understanding as well, maybe how to help their kids or family or friends that are struggling with that issue. Absolutely. And so kind of what I want to do today is I want to really seek to answer that question and kind of get into what the scriptures say about that specific topic of homosexuality, but then also look at some more practical questions, too, of how can we really um, help people um, with this issue it just in how they think or in how they they interact with people struggling with that sin, whether it's themselves or other people that they know. So let's go ahead and kick, thing, kick things off with the first question. So the first question is just very simply, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? And as we get into that question, I want to give some scripture references. So I mentioned we've been specifically in the book of Romans. So Romans 1 verses 26 through 32 is a key passage uh, for the topic of homosexuality, but it's not the only place in scripture that addresses this topic. We also see this topic addressed in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, um, as well as 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And all of these passages really are consistent in saying that homosexuality is a sin. And so do you want to go ahead and kind of expand on that to help clarify what uh, the scriptures really teach about this subject? No, absolutely. And I think uh, what you already said is important to remember. It's the clear and plain reading of scripture tells us that homosexuality is a sin. And so that would be my first recommendation to people is to not try to overcomplicate uh, what the scripture is saying. And so if the plain reading and the simple reading yields that, um, that's usually what it is. And if you notice anyone that tries to say it's not a sin, there is a huge complexity to their answer. And they have to somehow explain away a list of sins because homosexuality is included with other sins. In Romans, it gives some clarity and then a list. Uh, it forces them to have the burden of showing how homosexuality is not a sin, but the other sins are still sinful. So, for instance, how is hating God a sin, which we would all agree with, but homosexuality is not a sin within the same passage because they get lumped together. And you'll see the technical nature of the explanation, or you'll see um, the ignoring of inerrancy, or uh, infallibility, and that's really bad as well. And so a simple way to point out to someone is, look how complicated your answer is to make that not a sin. When you just read the scripture plainly, it's a sin. Uh, the other part would be when you look at the, the Bible as a whole, God set up a framework for us, for humanity. And he said in the very beginning, uh, he created male and female, to be one. And that when God made woman, he saw man and woman, and it was good. Um, he didn't make man and man. He didn't make female and female. He didn't make neutral and neutral and let them decide. He made them male, female. And when they came together, they were one and they were good. And it bore uh, the image we see within the Godhead, the Trinity. And so that's the simple part of it. The other part is all the passages talk about marriage between a man and a woman, and they have roles and they have jobs. And when it talks about parenting, it's through the lens of a man and a woman. When it talks about 
uh, how a marriage should operate between a man and a woman. And I think it's it's knowing that God's the creator, so he's the one who gets to tell us our roles and the institutions and the purpose of those institutions. And we don't get to, to look up at him and say, you know, you made a mistake or, uh, you know, you didn't write the Bible for today. That's then. God wrote it. God said it. It's plain and it's clear. And we need to be uh, okay with that. No matter how hard society push it, pushes, the Bible is simple and it's clear. And this last point I think is important. It's what's best. And we need to keep away from thinking that God is withholding some type of uh, joy for people. Um, there is no permanent joy in sin. Sin leads to death. Uh, God's design is better. And even if we can't see it or feel it, it is better. And we need to trust him as the creator designer knows a better way. Yeah, absolutely. I think part of, you know, the issue with this topic is really the way that, you know, the culture has shifted so drastically on this topic in recent years within the last 10 or 20 years. Yes. Because when you look, when you look back further than that, you know, you really what you see is that in, in a large way, the culture wasn't accepting of homosexuality. Yes. And so the church saying that homosexuality was wrong wasn't really that big of an issue because in a lot of ways the culture was a was agree in agreement about that. And so now you have the complete opposite of that where the culture is 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 pushing very much so that this lifestyle is acceptable. And so it's become very problematic for the church to say that this lifestyle isn't acceptable. Yeah, you bring up a great point that I would like to draw out. Um, imagine in the 1950s, you're someone who has the desire to be a homosexual. And the answer is, well, the Bible says, no, live with it. Now it's, there's thousands and millions of people that say it's okay. Well, then the Bible must be wrong. You know what I mean? Like what changed between 1950 and now? It's what you said. The culture changed. The Bible has had the same consistent message. Yeah. And so to think, you know, 60, 70 years later, we just have a better understanding of the Bible. And, you know, the previous 2000 years, it was, you know, misunderstood or insufficient. That's a tall order that I don't think we should be comfortable making. Yeah. And that's why really it's so important for the church to be upholding the truth of the scriptures. That's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That that's one of the most unique descriptions of the church in the scriptures yep. is that the, the church would be the pillar yes, of truth. Absolutely. Right? And so and so that's why it's so important that that we as a church we uphold the truth and not follow what the culture is saying about any kind of lifestyle, not yeah. just homosexuality, but we're to uphold God's truth in every in every area and everything that it addresses. Some of the things that that I appreciated that you said, you know, about that question, just to to kind of point those things out, was that you know, in in the passages that address homosexuality, we're we're not seeing really those passages just call out homosexuality on its own, if right. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's in all of those passages. You can yep. read all of those passages, Romans, 1 Corinthians 6, um, and 1 Timothy 1. Um, and in all of those passages, homosexuality isn't listed by itself. It's actually mm -hmm. listed with a whole group of other other sins that we're told not to pursue. And yes. so part of it is, is understanding that, yes, the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, um, and sexual sin certainly has more severe consequences than other sins, but it yes. is listed among other sins. And so how could we, within what we see in the scriptures, say that homosexuality is not a sin, but everything else in those lists is still wrong, you know, yep. like murder, like hating God, like being greedy, you know? And so part of that is making sure that we have a solid 
understanding of interpreting God's word correctly and seeing it as absolute truth. Yes. So a question that kind of comes from that is, you know, how can homosexuality be wrong if the Bible says, you know, not to judge others? That's kind of a maybe a common justification for the lifestyle of homosexuality that, that you know, because the, the Bible says not to judge others, that it's okay to live a lifestyle of homosexuality. Yeah, I think an important question to ask is when you make a judgment, are you saying it's my judgment? Or are you saying it is God's judgment? So, for instance, when you tell someone, um, you know, chocolate ice cream is terrible, that's my judgment. And when I take my judgment and I try to push it on you, you have a right to say, wait, who are you to declare that chocolate ice cream is terrible? Right? Um, versus when we say homosexuality is a sin, I'm not saying I I declare, I'm saying it is written. And when it is written, we're saying God set a standard and you're not hitting that standard. It's the same when you see an alcoholic or you see someone who's committing adultery. It's not, hey, I said marriage is between you and a woman, you know, or and you can't have a secondary spouse. And and that's why when someone comes in my office, let's say, and they say we have an open marriage. And um, we're not committing adultery because we've ag agreed to allow each other to see other people as long as we come home to each other. Uh, the answer there is you're not allowed to make a judgment on your own marriage because God's the one who gave us the rules to marriage, right? You're not allowed to cheat on your spouse. That's idolatry. That's what God says. So I think we have to distinguish when we're making a judgment. Are we implying that we feel it's more morally wrong or has God said it's morally wrong? And we always want to go back to God said it and I'm communicating it. The second part is when I make that judgment, is there an attachment of me kind of subtly saying, I'm better than you, right? You struggle with this sin, homosexuality. I don't. And somehow you are not an equal image bearer like me. And so when we try to position uh, sin as a way to make us feel more Christian or more spiritual, uh, the consequences can be very damaging. And so what we want to say is we have equal value, right? And we are both sinners that need Jesus. And God says we are to not do certain things. He says that to everyone. And in this particular case, He's saying no to homosexuality. And if you're a Christian, you need to uphold that. Just like I need to uphold being faithful, not having idols, not gossiping, um, telling the truth. Those are all things in the Bible that I have to adhere to. And, and so to rule out people and say because that sin, they have less value, that's where it becomes very problematic is we shouldn't have a superiority about our value. It's we're equal in value, but we have different sins, and those sins have different consequences. And as they have different consequences, it might give the appearance that you're not as spiritual or you're not as mature. And that's really what we should stay away from. It's God said it. We both need to adhere to it, and we need to realize we're both image bearers and it's in our best interest to be like Jesus and, and participate and be obedient to what he's told us to do. Yeah. And so kind of some of the things that I'm hearing you say is that really ultimately when it, when we talk about judgment, we need to, we need, we really need to understand God's judgment mm -hmm. first and foremost. And that, as you mentioned, earlier with the idea of 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 God being the creator that that he's the one who gets to decide yes. what's right and wrong and and he's revealed that to us in his word and so really we're we are really just to it's not that we're making our own 
judgments, it's really that we are agreeing with yeah. with God's judgment, which with what he has judged to be right and wrong. And even in addition to that, other places in the New Testament help clarify that, you know, so you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and in that passage, Paul is addressing some pretty serious sexual sin. Mm -hmm. And near the end of that section, you know, he says, he's, he essentially says, are we not to judge those who are inside the church? Yes. God is the judge of those outside. And so kind of the principle I think that we see from that is that the judgment with which we are to judge within the church really isn't about uh, condemning one another or trying to communicate that you're better than that person because you don't struggle with that sin. But really the the judgment that we're supposed to use between believer and believer is really to, to help that person become more like Christ, yes. to help them grow in that area of their life. And, and, and every believer needs that kind of accountability in yes. their life. Absolutely. And that's where the Bible is structured in a way that when believers, Christians, won't call sin what God calls sin, that we're to handle uh, that situation in a specific way. Church discipline, Matthew 18, in order for us to not keep going down a road where we're not calling sin what God calls sin. And so that is a part of the job of the church to say, hey, you're, you're not reading that. Like it's there right in the Bible. It's what it says. And I care about you. And I don't want you to live outside of God's design. And if you're a Christian, you're supposed to say, oh, wow, you're you're right. It is there. That is what God wants. And it says that if you do that and your brother changes, uh, you've essentially won them over. It's saying that you've done a good thing. You've saved them essentially from going down the path. And so I think when it's approached properly with the right attitude and the right mindset, um, it can be really profitable when we help people see the scripture. Yeah, absolutely. Another question that comes up is, you know, is there a difference between being tempted with homosexual desire versus actively practicing a homosexual lifestyle? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to first understand everyone's tempted. We all get temptation. And when we even see uh, the Bible, it says Jesus was tempted in every way. Uh, what we're getting at is do you, how do you handle the temptation? Do you dwell on the temptation? Do you tease it out? And that's where James really fleshes that out is how sin is birthed. It starts with temptation. And so uh, I, I think we have to, to realize every Christian will be tempted. It's what do we do with that temptation? Do we tease it out? Do we see how close we can get without crossing the line? Or do we like Joseph when he's tempted uh, by Potiphar's wife? He runs, right? And we're told, especially with sexual sin, to flee, to yeah. run. And so it's it's more how are you handling it? And Hebrews 10, 26 kind of uh, spells that out a little bit more specifically. It says, for if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. So it frames it in an important way. Knowledge of truth. So if you're a Christian that knows Jesus is the standard and that he's communicated his standard through his word in the Bible, uh, we are to not deliberately go on sinning, not practice sinning, uh, because we realize that's not what God wants us to do. That's different than, you know, you're actively trying not to sin, but we still sin and we yeah. repent versus saying, God doesn't care about my sexuality. God doesn't care about drunkenness. God doesn't care about adultery. God doesn't care about hating. Um, the Bible doesn't say you have to forgive. Uh, the Bible doesn't say you can't cheat on your wife, right? And so all of a sudden when you're saying the scripture says counter to what it says, saying, and you know better, right? You have a knowledge of the truth. That's a problem. And so I think where this gets confusing sometimes is people will identify themselves as uh, maybe a gay 
Christian. Uh, and so it's like, well, what do you mean by that? And we have to have this conversation versus tempted versus participating. And when you look at an alcoholic, some alcoholics would say, I'm an alcoholic, but I'm a Christian. They don't marry the two together. Anyway, anyways, the point is they're not saying they're actively practicing. They're saying, you know, when I see alcohol, I'm tempted to let it be medicine, you know, to soothe me, to comfort me in a way that's inappropriate. And then other people would say, I'm not an alcoholic. I haven't had a drink in 40 years, right? And while other people would say, I am, and I haven't had a drink in 40 years. And so the, the part that's important is if you're tempted, we're all going to be tempted. The question is, are you practicing? And does the Bible call it a sin? And when you can say, I'm not practicing, and the Bible calls it a sin, it doesn't mean you're never going to be tempted, right? And so we need to give liberty there when people say, well, I struggle with that attraction, uh, same-sex attraction, but I know it's a sin, and I I try my hardest not to give in to that sin and to not let that sin grow. And, and I ask God to help me put that sin to death. They're actively doing what Christ wants them to do. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, some of the things I'm kind of hearing you say is that, you know, we're all going to struggle with, with different temptations. Um, but struggling with temptation is very different than actively practicing something that the scripture says, Hey, this is not an acceptable lifestyle. Right. And so, you know, you're, if you're, if you, someone's struggling with same sex attraction, then, you know, they need accountability. You know, they, they, they need to refrain from giving in. And, and when they do fail in that area of their life, they need believers around them to, to help them continue uh, to pursue holiness and their area of and that area of life, just like all of us do with any other sin that we might sh- that we might struggle with in our life. Right. Um, but that's that's different than than saying, "Hey, I I know that this is what the Bible says, but I'm still going to pursue this this lifestyle actively. I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to strive not to give in." Right. If that makes sense. Yes. And so there is a difference between those two things. And the passage that you um, referenced as well, uh, Hebrews 10, um, you know, it really, and there's more on that, su- more on that subject too of, 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 you know, actively, deliberately practicing sin, for example, like in first John yep. as well. But, but that the deliberately practicing it, it, it reveals a lot about where your heart is actually at. Yes. And and it really reveals most likely a heart that doesn't truly understand the gospel. Yeah. You know, and and really take God at his word. And yes. so it's important to to understand the kind of the distinction between those two things. Okay, so our next question um is a lot more practical. Mm-hmm. So on the subject of homosexuality, should we address homosexuality with our children? And kind of if so, then how? And is there an an ideal age to, to do that at? Yes, uh, you definitely want to discuss it with your children. And I think the younger, the better, because the world is introducing it uh, at a younger and younger age. It's not going to be uncommon for them to watch a cartoon where there's a guy that likes a guy or a girl that likes a girl. Um, it's also going to be introduced in the education system younger, where they will tell you um, how to practice safe intimacy between a boy and a boy and a girl and a girl. Um, and that they feel, they being the liberal society, that part of the problem uh, in our world of injustice is the innocence of children. And they want to say that children are taught at a young age to think uh, same-sex attraction is weird. And so we need to normalize it and disrupt their innocence so that at a young age they go, wow, okay, I guess that's not a big deal. And then don't grow up uh, being hateful, I guess, or unjust is the way the world would say it. So the world has become much more aggressive in the teaching of it. And so parents and the church need to address it even sooner. And so 
I know that was a long answer, but I think there's good reason to do it sooner. I know it might be weird. It might be awkward. Uh, but if, if we ignore the place to teach our children what the truth is and what the Bible says, someone else will do it for us. And kids need to know that they can go to their parents and they'll answer hard questions and they'll tell them the truth and that they shouldn't go to social media. They shouldn't go to a movie. They shouldn't go to their five-year-old friend. They don't need to go to their teacher. Moral, moral authority can be answered by the parent and the kid feels comfortable saying, my mom and dad tell me the truth, right? Yeah. So that's part one. Part two would be when you explain it, you kind of go back to what we said earlier. God created this order, right? God created male and female, and he created sex to happen in the context of a marriage, right? Not before marriage, all sexual sin outside of one man, one woman in marriage is sinful. And so they need to understand uh, that it's not some special sin that makes you worse, right? But that the Bible does say there are variants and consequences. And, and I think this is important because we need to show children that it's not just that God says no, it's that God's design is better. God's design is that one man and one woman would only know each other in an intimate way. And there wouldn't be any intimate baggage through pornography, other intimate relationships, um, same attraction relationships that get brought into the marriage that create a competition and insecurity um, or, or a, a hill or a hurdle that you have to cross. God's design that you would be the only two that each other have known in an intimate way and that you would be the best and greatest to each other. God's way is not just right, it's better. It's better for you and we need to trust God. I think the second thing is um, when we find someone or come across someone who is um, same-sex oriented or practices homosexuality, to not treat them like they have a disease. And that they're somehow contagious and by having a conversation with them we'll catch that that sin in that way it, it's what do how do we treat other sinners right we treat them uh with kindness we have conversations and if they are a christian we address well this is what the bible says if they're not a christian we don't try to get them to to get married to the opposite sex they need Jesus. So to the non-Christian, we share Christ with them because they need to come to Jesus first and then understand what it means to live in obedience, not try to get them married. If they're a Christian, it's, hey, the Bible tells us this is the way God created us to be. And so walking them through, it's God's judgment. It's what's best. Um, we treat them how we see Jesus treat tax collectors and Pharisees, the woman at the well, he points out the sin, but he offers them an invitation to follow him, right? And so it's very balanced in truth and grace. And it, and it, they're not treated like outcasts. They're treated as image bearers that need Jesus. And then to Christians, hey, we need to follow God's order. We've agreed to that as Christians, what to do. Yeah. And that's a that's a tall order for for parents to yes. to teach that all of that to their children. And so I think that it really highlights the importance of the parents knowing that information for yes. themselves. They have to they need to know God's created order and what God's word says about um about these issues, you know. And in addition to that, I think that one of the problems is that sometimes the the church is seen as like the primary discipler of the children right which what really what we see in the scriptures is that the parents are to be the primary disciplers of their children we see that specifically in like Deuteronomy chapter 6 that yeah. the parents are to be the ones 
teaching and training their their children on what godliness is. And so they have to know that information for themselves to be able to explain that to their children. Um, and then, you know, in addition to that, there are a lot of other great resources that can help with that as well. So I would say kind of from what I'm hearing from you, one one thing is just that parents need to know that they're the, the, the primary disciplers of their children and that they do need to have that conversation yes. with their children and teach them what the Bible says, because if they don't, they will hear it from their yes. peers. And what we don't want is our children to see social media, um, the school system or their peers as the discipler, moral, moral authority, or the, the one they can trust for information. Well, our kids need to see from a young age that they can go to mom and dad. And mom and dad are going to tell them the truth, right? And they're going to tell them what God says. And they're going to tell them, we trust God's judgment. We trust God's design that it's better. His way is better. And you can layer it in Deuteronomy 6, like you mentioned, it's an all day process, right? You wake up in the morning, in the afternoon, before you go to bed, when you walk up to the door, um, all these reminders. And so it's it's not going to be one conversation. And, and parents need to know it, it's okay if you're like, I feel like I left something out. That's okay. You're going to have another opportunity to share because they're going to see something at school. Hey, I saw these two kids and uh, I, I don't know what to think. Uh, they're going to see it on a movie. They're going to have a friend and they're going to say, what do, what do I, what do I do? How do I make sense of that? And rather than saying, Oh, I don't know, or don't worry about it. saying, okay, Hey, this, this is what the Bible says. And, uh, here's how we should approach it. And if you don't know, tell them that, Hey, you know what? That's a great question. I think I need to ask, you know, one of the pastors at church, or I need to do a little bit of research on my Bible in my Bible before I do that, and I'll get back to you. That's better than uh, ignoring the truth or making up a silly reason or a silly response. You know what I mean? And so it, it's better to say, I don't know, but I'll find out and we'll talk and I'll tell you. You can come to me and I'll tell you. Yeah, absolutely. And we uh, we also just recently had... Um, a parenting seminar here at LBC with Dr. Jim Burns. Um, and he actually has um, written some really great books on yes. this subject. So he has uh, several books to, to help parents teach their children um, really like a, a theology of um, healthy sexual um, yep. relationships and God's um, design for marriage. Yes. Um, and he has, different books for different stages of life too. So as early as three years old, and then I believe up into like junior high and high school. Yes. Um, and so in addition to the parents knowing the scriptures for themselves, being willing to have those open conversations with their, with their children, there, there are some good resources to help with those conversations as Absolutely. well. Okay. So our next question um, is, you know, how should, a Christian handle um, homosexuality in their own life, if that's something that they struggle with. Yeah. And so again, I think it's important for us to see, we need to be consistent in how we address sin. So the Christian is to always run away from sin, flee from sin, right? We're to repent, turn away from sin. We're to confess sin. James tells us to confess to one another, pray for one another. Uh, we see with sexual sin, run. It's very powerful. Run. Don't uh, flirt with it, so to speak. So if you see someone who's struggling uh, being greedy, you're going to tell them you need to repent, you need to confess, you need to pray. The same with homosexual uh, temptation. Put yourself in a position to succeed. Don't put yourself in situations that cause you to want to uh, give in to that temptation. Like if you're an alcoholic, we would say, don't hang out at a bar with your buddy. Tell your friend, hey, uh, could we go somewhere that doesn't serve alcohol? Could we, you know, put it, try to order your life in a way that helps you succeed 
in temptation, not going into practice or sin. And so part of that is informing uh, another brother or sister in Christ, I'm struggling with this, confess, will you pray for me? And then being reminded, you know, you're not a gay Christian. You're not a greedy Christian. You're a Christian. So what I mean by that is your sin is not your identity. Your temptation is not your identity. Um, you are a Christian. You're a child of God, follower of Jesus. That's who you are. And he's gifted you the Holy Spirit. He's gifted you brothers and sisters in Christ to help you not sin. And I think where sin gets a hold of us is we allow it to define us, isolate us, and tell us no one will understand. Um, you're so dirty, you can't be loved. There's no hope for you. There's no uh, place for you in the church. You know, you're extra dirty. And, and to remind ourselves, no, it's like any other sin. You confess it. You try to have accountability for it. You try to put yourself in situations that don't cause you to want to sin more. And you dialogue with God about it. God change my heart. These are the things I want to do. I trust you. Help me trust you. Um, help me not give in to that sin. And so treating it consistent with other sins, you know, and not isolating it, not allowing it to define you and not hiding it. Other Christians being aware is very important. So they remind us of the truth and they help us what the Bible says, have a sober mind, right? A sound judgment because our sin can cause us to be emotional and irrational, um, and then you have Satan on top of it who accuses and condemns. And then you have the world on top of it telling us that we need to give in to our temptations. That's our right, our freedom, our expression. It's what being authentic means. And uh, the Christian community saying, no, 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 we want to obey Jesus. It's better. You're a Christian. Uh, there's hope. We love you. And uh, that, that would be how I would recommend approaching it. Yeah. So, it, I mean, it really has to do with understanding that, um, again, that homosexuality isn't isolated in the scriptures as a sin. And that just as we would struggle with other temptations, um, you know, with other sins, that we would kind of handle it in a similar way. Some of the things that I heard kind of you say is making sure that, you know, that's something that you're confessing, yes. whether it be both to, you know, the, the Lord, yep. which confession to the Lord really is agreement. Yes. with the Lord, that, that that is something that's against his will, against his design, that it is sinful, but but also confessing that to, to other believers who can help keep you accountable with that. Mm -hmm. An important part of that is not only that there's confession and agreement, but that there's repentance, that there's active striving to uh, not give in to that temptation to that sin um, and striving for holiness. And that's why accountability is so um, necessary because all of us, when left on our own, will pursue the sinful desires of our heart. And so yes. that's the, the beauty of the church is that we have each other in each other's lives to say, hey, can I, how can I help you with, you know, whatever sin it may be in yes. your life that you're struggling with? I appreciated that you kind of hinted at seeking out someone to to tell, seeking mm -hmm. out accountability, because I think that's so important because I think all of us would would love it and probably prefer it if if others sought us out. Yes. Um but oftentimes that's just not what happens. And so we do need to be doing that. We do need to be seeking out other people to help them become more like Christ. But when there is an issue in our life, we don't want to just think that an accountability partner is just going to show up into right. our life. It, it, it's going to be something probably that you have to seek after, that yeah. you have to pursue. And that's part of what it means to strive for holiness is that it's a it's a hard work to do to seek someone out to help you with that sin with that thing that you're struggling with in your life yeah it takes a, a humility and a willingness to say um, i can't do this on my own i need help and we were designed to be helped you know through the holy spirit but also through one another 
Yeah, exactly. So our last question for today is, you know, not all Christians are going to struggle with um, same-sex attraction. Um, and so how does how can a Christian help someone who is struggling with homosexuality? Yeah. So I think, again, we always want to define terms. So let's first start with the person is a Christian. So they believe the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin. One of the simple things you can do is include them. You know, one of the things I hear in a, in a homosexual uh, mindset is that there's a community that loves them and accepts them. And there's no reason why we can't love and accept someone who is tempted by that sin, but is actively trying not to give in to that sin because that's all of us, right? And so inviting them into the community is a big way. Um, praying for them is huge because that uh, means we're having a dialogue between us and God in a caring manner for another person. And I think God helps us um, have tenderness and kindness towards uh, people when we pray for them and also helps us figure out how we can be helpful in that way. And then I think also realizing it, it, it might be something that doesn't go away. You know, um, sometimes people, I've heard them say, you know, I was an alcoholic and then God just took away, boom, took it away. Never had the temptation again. Other people will say it's been 40 years and when I see a commercial or we drive by a, you know, a bar, right? I smell, I, wow, it's a temptation. So don't assume it just goes away. It might be a long walk, right? It's not going to be a, a one-time uh, talk about it. It's going to be something that could be very uh, ongoing that requires follow-up and prayer and continued uh, pursuing and trying to help that person in that way. And just in realizing uh, temptation isn't something that always just magically goes away. Sometimes God answers that prayer when you say, hey, will you take it away? And then other times, no, we still we still struggle. The other one would be, uh, you know, if they're not a Christian, I think this is huge, is trying to push them towards marriage as the solution can be very off-putting for a person who finds the opposite sex to be gross or unattractive. Um that person, like any non-Christian, needs Christ first. And we need to show them uh, Jesus as the solution to their sin problem, not their identity problem, not their cultural normal um, acceptance, but their broken sin soul whole, you know, the hole in their soul that will only be fixed by Jesus giving them a new heart and his Holy Spirit an identity, and a purpose. And so when we see that's the goal, I think there's a much higher success because we're not trying to change their orientation. We're trying to show them Jesus is the solution they seek. And I think sometimes people don't realize what a tall order it is for someone to overcome that temptation. And rather than trying to fix the temptation, it's trying to see Jesus and following him is what we need to do first and tackle every facet of our life that doesn't want to obey him and doesn't want to listen to him and tackle all of them, right? It's not uh, homosexuality in isolation. It's lying. It's telling the truth. Uh, it's not being greedy. It's not hating people. It's uh, praying for our enemies. It's forgiving people we don't want to forgive. Uh, it's all of those things. And I think the other thing is, you know, again, addressing the Christian, it's there's hope through Christ. We can overcome this temptation. And that's the same in, in a lot of sins that have the potential to be our idols. They're what make us feel loved or give us a purpose or an identity or allow us to be a part of a community. So we don't feel um, like we're weird or we don't fit. And really saying, no, you fit as a Christian. We both need Jesus. We're doing this together. You're a brother or sister in Christ. And reminding them their identity is in Jesus. Uh, and then again, the non-Christian, you're saying that's not going to fix, meaning homosexuality, fix uh, the whole in your life. It's just like any other sin. It's going to make you feel good for a little bit, 
but it's going to leave you incomplete and, and, and leave you uh, empty at the end of the day. And ultimately you need Jesus. Yeah. That, those things are, those things are great. I think some of the things I'm hearing you say is, you know, remembering that uh, when someone's struggling with homosexuality, what they need most is, is not to be heterosexual. Right. You know, what they need most, uh, what all of us need most is, is ultimately the gospel Amen. is yeah. to be more like Christ. And so for the Christian, it's, it's helping that person. If there's an accountability relationship, yeah, then that means that, you know, you've agreed to a relationship where you address sin in yep. each other's lives. And so that means pushing each other towards striving after holiness and striving after Christ likeness. And then with, with the non-Christian, you know, remembering that, you know, what they need most is the gospel. And homosexuality yes. isn't the only sin in their life. Homosexuality ultimately isn't what they need to be saved from. Right. You know, there's there's all kinds of other sins in their life. And and all of sin is what separates us from God. And yes. it's only through trusting in Christ that we're forgiven of all sins. Yes. Right. And and we're able to be reconciled to God. And then as you mentioned too, being willing to invite them into your life to build relationships with them. One thing that is um, so unique about homosexuality in the culture really is how much it has become an identity for yes. people. Mm -hmm. um, that's one of the cultural shifts that we've seen over the last 20 years is that sexuality has become very much so an identity for people. Um, and so they find, they find that identity and they find, um, love and acceptance in that community, yes. you know? And so making sure that, that, that they understand that the, the true community to yes. find love in it is the community of believers. Yes, absolutely. And and at the end of the day, no one is going to completely change to become more like Christ after one conversation absolutely. in one day. Yeah. And so it requires that we be involved in people's lives, that we invite them into our homes, that we invite them to see our family life and all of that stuff. And that we're willing to not just have one conversation with them, but to walk with them through the things that they're struggling with in their life. Absolutely. And I think as, you know, final verse to think about in Hebrews, it says to stir up one another to love and good works. That stir is like a spur on a boot and kicks into a horse and it gets up and it moves is, is that stirring requires that we know what's going on and we kind of kick each other towards godliness for the purpose of love. And then underneath that, it says, don't neglect to meet with each other, right? As some do, do not forsake the assembly. And it's like, we have to meet so that we can talk. And when we talk, we need to help. We need to help each other be like Jesus. I help stir you. You help stir me for godliness, uh, for the betterment of each other, and for the glory of God. And God really has designed us in a way to help each other be like Jesus. And when we go outside of God's design, it's damaging. And together we can help each other trust his design, that his way is better. And it's hard because our feelings and our emotions say no, but it feels right. And it, it takes a community of believers to say, I, I know, but no, we're going to trust God. It's better to trust him and go, okay, I'm not alone. You're going to walk with me in this. And I, I think that's, you're going to see the best approach. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, as we close today, kind of, there's only even addressing this issue in a podcast, there's still only so much right. we can say. And there's still a lot of other practical questions that could be answered yes. um, about this subject. And so, you know, we want to talk about just briefly, you know, some further resources that can be helpful where um, viewers could 
you know, dive into those resources to get maybe some more biblical um, insight on how to think about and address um, this topic. So the first thing I would really um, encourage is really primarily to read the Bible. I yes. would I would challenge um, all of us to read and to know God's Word better than than any other resource, because ultimately, at the end of the day, what matters most is what God says. Absolutely. Um, and any good resource that's not the Bible is always going to point you back to what God says. Yes. And so first and foremost, we need to primarily know what God says yes. in his word. And so I would challenge you to know his word better than any other resources. But there are a lot of other great resources that are going to help you understand this topic uh, biblically. And so some resources that we would encourage you to check out would be uh, what does the Bible teach about homosexuality? That's Owen Strachan and Gavin Peacock. There's also Transforming Homosexuality, and that's by Denny Burke and Heath Lambert. And then another resource is called Can You Be Gay and Christian? That's by Michael Brown. And then I think, Eric, you had a suggestion for a resource as well. Yeah, it's called um, The Bible and Homosexuality by Robert Gagum. And he basically goes through the whole text of the Bible and just shows um, God's intent, God's design, and biblical fidelity is important. And I think just does a good job of getting away from, I think, I feel, um, my opinion, and says, this is really what the whole Bible says and encourages us to trust the Bible and trust God's judgments. Great. Well, thanks for being here, Eric. Uh, appreciate you having this conversation with me, and hopefully it was helpful to the viewers and to the church family as well. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I hope and pray that it helps our church. Uh, and remember, we're always open to questions and how we can further help equip the church uh, to grow themselves, but also disciple their children and help their neighbors. Yes, absolutely. You've been listening to the LBC podcast, a podcast of Laurel Glen Bible Church in Bakersfield, California. If you liked this podcast, please share it with a friend and make sure you subscribe so that you can stay up to date on all new podcasts. Thank you for listening and watching. We'll see you next time. God bless you.